It must be a lot of fun to be a UU. <laughs> Even your announcements are different. <laughs> While you're here every Sunday, I'm elsewhere, and I know uh, the announcements are different. <laughs> Thank you for everything you've done for me in the last 13 years. Uh, we came to Shreveport from New Hampshire in 2001. And our son was four years old at the time. He's getting ready to graduate from high school now. Uh, but uh, on that long drive from uh, New Hampshire to Louisiana, we kept telling him that uh, when we got to Louisiana, uh, he would have all sorts of new friends. So when we pulled into the driveway of our new house in Shreveport, he asked, where are the new friends? <laughs> But then when I pulled into the parking lot at Centenary College, I asked myself, where are the new friends? And then very quickly, I found you at All Souls. And uh, it was through World Religion Day, I think, that I first came in contact with the people here, uh, but also the building. And uh, I, I mention it every time I speak here, but I think you have the best sanctuary in town. And this, uh, I'm really going to miss that. Uh, but I, I do want to uh, especially thank Susan for just her friendship and camaraderie, um, especially everything she's done for World Religion Day. Uh, she's the uh, mother of interfaith relations in town. And she is. It's true. So uh, we really owe you a lot. And... Uh, I, I just um, really am so appreciative that I've had uh, several years with Barbara and to offer my so-called prayer at her ordination was a great honor and we really uh, wish her the best and want to keep praying for her now. But World Religion Day is a great treasure and it seems like it's now a fact that uh, All Souls is headquarters for World Religion Day, <laughs> and so I hope you treasure that and support that. Uh, I've received a lot from that. And the very fact that I'm on the list with those other folks who have received the Emerson Award is just a great honor to me, uh, and when you contacted me uh, several years about that, uh, several years ago about that, I was just so delighted to receive that. I've been uh, a lifelong fan of Ralph Waldo, and to have an award bearing his name is uh, just a great uh, privilege for me. I uh, also want to thank uh, Larry Andros, who has uh, participated with me in a few activities uh, at Centenary. Uh, twice we held the Dharma in Dixie, uh, trying to uh, showcase uh, Buddhist life and thought in the Arclatex and uh, uh, we've had a great time doing that. And, of course, every now and then uh, a student or two of mine will go to his meditation group. And uh, they will also come for a Sunday service. So thank you for your hospitality to centenary students. I know they always come here acting as if they've never been anywhere in the world and they don't know what to do. <laughs> but thank you for helping them figure out what to do and showing them what the UU tradition is all about. Uh, I'll also miss my neighbor, Hazel Martin. Uh, I met her uh, 
several years ago uh, walking the dog and she was doing some uh, yard work in her front yard and I complimented her on the Buddha image uh, right outside her front door and she told me I'm a Taoist and I immediately asked how long have you been a member of All Souls? <laughs> because where else would she be? <laughs> and let me just plug this if you would like to buy a lovely house near Hazel Martin, <laughs> let me know. <laughs> but thank you for your invitation today. Uh, and yes, uh, we want to concentrate on this unusual man uh, who bears this extraordinary name uh, and um, whose future is unknown and we wonder what will happen. Uh, but this is how it all begins, with these two Latin words, habemus papam, we have a pope. And I've heard the Vatican's senior cardinal deacon proclaim these words from the Logia of St. Peter's Basilica four times in my life. First in 1978, after the election of Albino Luciani, who took the first double name in papal history, John Paul. The second time, still in 1978, after Luciani's one-month pontificate, the 11th shortest in history, abbreviated by heart attack, when Carol Wojtyla, the first non-Italian in over 400 years and the first Slav ever, took the chair of the Apostle Peter as John Paul II. Then in 2005, after Wojtyla's monumental 26-year reign, when his longtime associate, Joseph Ratzinger, the world-class academic theologian, became Benedict XVI. And then most recently in 2013, when after the virtually unprecedented resignation of Pope Benedict, Jorge Mario Bergoglio became the first American to serve as Bishop of Rome. Yes, he's the first Argentinian, the first South American, the first Latin American Pope, but I think just plain American is the best way to get the message across. After all, Amerigo Vespucci's name was bequeathed to the southern New World continent long before it denominated the amber ways of grain north of the Panama Canal or the Rio Grande. So with Bergoglio, we have the first American successor to Galilee's most famous fisherman, Habemus Papa. When I heard that Latin proclamation over a year and a half ago, I was completing, as Susan mentioned, a, a three-year visiting position at the Jesuit institution, Xavier University, in Cincinnati, named after St. Francis Xavier, the first missionary of the Society of Jesus, who in the 1500s preached the gospel from France to Japan and died en route to China. I watched the events of the conclave on the desktop computer in my university office to observe the election of the first Jesuit pope at a Jesuit institution was a one-of-a-kind experience. And to see the first Jesuit pope take the name of Francis while my colleague, a Franciscan sister, watched the same screen by my side, made the event even more extraordinary. 
All of this, by the way, at the university where I was at the time teaching a course on Pope Benedict, a course weirdly interrupted by Benedict's out-of-the-blue retirement announcement. One month into it, my students asked if the course was canceled. <laughs> it quickly became an impromptu course on conclaves, complete with predictions on who would emerge from this one as the next Holy Father. Needless to say, no one saw Bergoglio coming, or I should say, going all the way. I do remember some graybeard lecturing my class on how no Jesuit would ever ascend the throne of St. Peter. But to defend my honor as a papal handicapper, I will show you now my handwritten list of 13 names. And Bergoglio is on the list, but he's not circled. Canada's Ouellette is circled, and Milan's Scola is circled. But today, no one is preaching a sermon on the Scola or the Ouellette effect. So I was so close, so close. The surprise of the Jesuit papal election was just the beginning. Since that day, in spring or autumn, if you were in Argentina, nothing has been the same. Since then, pundits have been talking about it almost nonstop and in various ways and at varying levels of intensity, we've all been feeling the Francis effect. Of course, that initial surprise was technically the work of not Bergoglio, but the 115 cardinal electors in the conclave and arguably the work of the Holy Spirit, too. And even the name Francis may have been at least partially sparked by Bergoglio's colleague from Brazil. When the pro-Bergoglio votes were approaching the two-thirds threshold, Cardinal Claudio Umes, who happens to be a Franciscan, leaned over to the Pope-to-be and whispered, don't forget the poor. And so, the new pope later said, the name came to my heart, Francis of Assisi. For me, he is the man of poverty, the man of peace, the man who loves and safeguards creation. Oh, how I wish for a church that is poor and for the poor. Once he announced the name, it was all Francis from that moment on. As you well know, no pope has ever taken the name Francis. In the list of the 265 men who have held the office of Pontifex Maximus before Bergoglio, you can find lots of Johns, several Stevens, Gregories, Leos, Piuses, and Pauls, a few Urbans, and Innocents, and Sixtuses, and even a Valentine, and my personal favorite, a Linus but never a Francis. In Christian lore, as Susan suggested, Francis of Assisi is the other Christ. St. Bonaventure called him the man most like Christ. His name has an electric charge in the Catholic atmosphere. No pope has dared to associate himself with the one who easily merits the title Christianity's most beloved saint. The pressure seemingly would be too great Brazilian liberation theologian Leonardo Boff was right on the mark 
Francis, he said, is not only a name, it's a project. Everything Pope Francis says seems to bear out this observation. His words are simple and direct. They're thought-provoking and conscience-stirring. Most of the time, we can't believe he said what he just said. His message turns me into a King James paraphraser. Never Pope spake like this Pope. (laughs) Think of his first few minutes as Pope, standing on the loggia, millions of camera flashes lighting up St. Peter's piazza, and the eyes of the world upon him. Before he offered the traditional Urbi et Orbi blessing on the city and on the world, he did what no other pope has ever done. Referring to himself as Bishop of Rome, not Pope, he made a request, pray for me. He bowed his head, silence descended upon the crowd, and many of us watching, perhaps most of us around the globe, were too stunned to do for him what he asked us to do for him. Then there was the first major interview. Question, who is Jorge Mario Bergoglio? Answer, I am a sinner. And next, the unforgettable interview on the flight to Rome after his first World Youth Day in Rio. The question about gay priests in the church. The answer this time, a question, who am I to judge? Who am I to judge? Again, I instinctively paraphrase the authorized version. What manner of pope is this? For a moment, just listen to the voice of Francis. I see the church as a field hospital after battle. Ours is not a lab faith. The first reform must be the attitude. We must walk united with our differences. The church is not an NGO. It's a love story. I have a dogmatic certainty. God is in every person's life. A Christian who is not a revolutionary today, isn't a Christian. And in case you missed it, oh, how I wish for a church that is poor and for the poor. But the Francis phenomenon is not just about words and definitely not about sound bites. What's astonishing to many observers around the world is the deep consistency between his speech and his actions. Even if you had your device on mute at the time, the true nature of the Francis Project would have been evident when Bergoglio first appeared on that celebrated loggia after Cardinal Deacon's Latin declaration. There he was, dressed in a simple white cassock with his own plain metal cross and his own silver ring. We couldn't see them, but he was also wearing his own uh, black trousers and his black orthopedic shoes. He passed on the traditional mozetta, the red velvet cape, 
the gold pectoral cross, and yes, the trademark red shoes of the papal haberdashers. It's not carnival time, he allegedly told his would-be handlers. After that, the acts of Francis started to roll out fast and furious. He refused the Vatican chauffeured limo and rode the shuttle bus with the rest of the cardinals. He returned to his pre-conclave hotel to pay the bill and retrieve his luggage. He called his newspaper man in Argentina to cancel his subscription. He ate in the staff cafeteria with the other Vatican workers. And he said a polite but firm no grazie to the official papal apartment. He set up housekeeping in the guest quarters where the cardinals stay during the conclave. Today his address is Casa Santa Marta, room 201. For most of the world, all of this was headline news. For the faithful and the not-so-faithful of Argentina, this was vintage Bergoglio. Or as he would say, it's normal. That's how he responded when Vatican reporters made a fuss over the fact that he carries his own briefcase aboard Alitalia. We have to get used to being normal, he said. For years, even when he was Archbishop, Padre Jorge, as he was known throughout Buenos Aires, was normal in this abnormal, even revolutionary sort of way. He would wear a plain black suit, leaving his scarlet zucchetto, or skull cap, and Cardinal Sutan back in his residence hall bedroom. He traveled, perhaps on his motorcycle, uh, but also on foot, and famously in the subway, taking transport, uh, public transportation, unnerving many status-conscious hosts and career-conscious subordinates. He never used a computer, watched TV, or owned a cell phone. And he frustrated all but the most level-headed secretaries, keeping his own appointment book and making his own calls, a practice he continues to this day. And this is just a heads up. But if someone calls you saying they're Pope Benedict, they probably are. Or Pope Francis. They may be Pope Benedict. Just be careful what you say. More importantly, Bergoglio has been long known in Argentina as an avid supporter of the Curas Vieros, the shantytown priests. His brand of non-Marxist liberation theology places a premium on direct personal ministry to the poor and the marginalized. As Pope, he has already made a point of repeating one of his signature lines. Shepherds, he says, should always take on the smell of the sheep. His outreach to prisoners, young people, and the profoundly ill, captured routinely by the media and connoisseurs of the selfie, is no calculated response to an abstract and artificial what would Francis do inquiry. Some are already calling him the slum pope. What's more, an open secret in South America is Padre Jorge's role in saving dissidents during Argentina's brutal 
dirty war of the 1970s and 80s. Someday, Bergoglio's list will be as well known as Schindler's. Driven by these words and these deeds, what we're calling the Francis Effect is being felt in a number of different dimensions of life. In the world at large, Francis is a sign of change, a breath of fresh air, and a challenge that both attracts and mystifies. He was Time Magazine's Person of the Year for 2013, and he currently tops Fortune Magazine's list of the world's 50 greatest leaders. He also appeared on the cover of Rolling Stone and was nominated for the 2014 Nobel Peace Prize. The hashtag best pope ever remains popular in the Twitter sphere, and recently the Harvard Business Review was talking about why we can't stop talking about Pope Francis. It's the atheist for Pope Francis t-shirts, however, <laughs> that really tell you we're in a different papal world. Inside the Catholic Church, I don't even know where to begin. At the very least, Francis reminds me of how expansive, genuine Catholicity truly is or ought to be. In his papal puzzler, the theme established by John Paul II and Benedict XVI has not only been transposed into a new key, it has been subjected to a process of variation so dramatic that the tune at times seems virtually unrecognizable. Francis represents no rupture, though. His first and so far only encyclical was actually begun by Pope Benedict a work of four hands, as Francis put it. When asked if he plans to change church teaching, he always replies, I am a son of the church. Francis's greatest short-term achievement may be to arrest the free fall of the church's credibility. His critique of worldliness and careerism in the church's hierarchy and of unbridled consumerism and the globalization of indifference in society may do much to regain at least a measure of trust in the church's moral authority. In the long run, his focus on the fundamentals of divine mercy and acceptance may help the church as a whole to rediscover its own core mission and re-experience the good in the good news of Jesus Christ. Francis's censure of Catholic obsession with small-minded rules, however, coupled with his remarkably open approach to discussion of marriage, divorce, and sexual diversity may result in three negative consequences. It may disappoint progressive Catholics, only marginally loyal to the church and historically unimpressed with gradual reform. It may confuse rank-and-file Catholics tone-deaf to nuance and psychologically indifferent to theological subtlety. And it may disenchant centrist and right-of-center leaders fearful of a one-man Vatican III in the Church's highest pastoral office. 
This third effect is, in fact, already a reality. Since the Vatican's recent synod on the family, some bishops and cardinals have publicly begun to question Francis's integrity, competence, and legitimacy. The honeymoon is over, and some seem to be whispering about an annulment. Perhaps the most promising field for the Francis effect is the realm of interfaith relations. Pope Francis has a personal relationship with Christian pop stars Rick Warren and Joel Osteen. His best friend from Argentina is a rabbi. He's the first pope in history to wash and kiss the feet of Muslims. And one of the top three writings from his first year in office, along with that four-handed encyclical and his apostolic exhortation, the joy of the gospel, was a letter to a non-believer. In the letter published in an Italian newspaper, Francis reminds us that dialogue is not superfluous to the life of the believer. Dialogue, in other words, is not a hobby or an add-on for the Christian, something one supports if she's in the mood or a certain social type. According to this pope, dialogue is at the center of the church's faith and the core of the church's mission. His Twitter account is Pope Francis at Pontifex. One of the oldest titles for the Bishop of Rome, Pontifex Maximus means greatest bridge builder. From my perspective, Pope Francis seems to be taking his job description pretty seriously. So yes, habemus papam. But what kind of pope? And why does it matter? Earlier, I suggested that the Holy Spirit might have had a hand, or a wing, I suppose, in the election of Jorge Mario Bergoglio. That calls to mind another King James classic. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof. But canst not tell whence it cometh, and withereth it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. We've all seen pictures of the Pope's now white Zucchetto flying off during a breezy outdoor audience. Here's the Roman forecast for the foreseeable future. Papal front brings blustery winds. Thank you. <laughs> 